Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. We're going to jump right into it. The title of my talk tonight, if you're taking notes, if you do that, it's called Identity Theft. Identity Theft. And we're going to t- turn to Matthew verse 16. Oh, sorry, chapter 16, verse 13. And uh, I'm going to be reading this out of the message translation because I love how Eugene Peterson uh, wrote this well-known story. I love how he, he put it in this paraphrase. And so this is Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. and said, when Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? They replied, some think he is John the baptizer, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. He pressed them. And how about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My father in heaven, God himself, let you in on a secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you really are. Get that. God himself let you in on a secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. And this is a rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to, the, to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth and earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven and a no on earth is a no in heaven. Lord, we thank you so much. And God, I pray that tonight you reveal to us who you really are so we can know who we really are. God, we thank you that you're so good. You're so consistent. You're so holy. You're so, you're so loving. You're so gracious. And Jesus, we, we ask that we take on your nature today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I have to admit something to you guys here in church, in front of church family. I have uh, committed a crime. Um, I have stolen someone's identity before. Uh, it's real. Um, one time, uh, when I was growing up, me and my brothers, we all shared the same iTunes um, because our mom's card was on it, so we all shared the same iTunes um, because we could buy songs on her credit card and we didn't have to pay for it. Um, and when you share the same iTunes, um, there's something called iCloud. Um, when I was a freshman in college, I didn't know what iCloud was and I didn't know its powers. And then one day, as a freshman, we were all in Las Vegas at a church conference and I had my iPad and um, it asked me this question. It says, would you like to connect your iPad to Jude Fuquay's phone, which is my brother? I'm like, I would. And so I connected to it. (laughs) It's like, that's a good idea. Um, At this time, my brother just had started dating his now wife. Um, and they, they were pretty fresh dating. They were so excited, and it was good times. And, and I really didn't have much to do. I was a Bible college student who was, you know, really radical for Jesus. And, and I was trying to stay holy and not going to the strip in Las Vegas. So I was in my hotel room, and um, I'm on my iPad, and I connect to my brother's phone. And I didn't realize that I could read his text messages and also text as, I, as if I'm him. I wouldn't do that, right? No, I did. I, I just, I'm like, man, this is a God-given opportunity. God, you have made this happen. You made a way where there was no way. And, and I'm just, I am, I am, I can't believe this. I love to do, I love to prank people. I love to mess with people. So this was the ultimate prank. So I get out my iPad and, and, you know, I just get my fingers, I stretch them out a little bit. I'm like, all right, let's get to work. I'm like, hey, baby, how you doing? 
My brother, see, the brother, my brother and I are completely opposite. He doesn't, like, he's not a, he's not a romantic, I am. And, and so I'm just like, I'm like, baby, you're so beautiful. You're so amazing. I miss you. She's like, we're in the same place. We're right together right now. I was like, but I still miss you. So she starts catching on because my brother was texting her as I was texting her. So she started getting confused on who was my brother. She couldn't tell. So she started asking questions, and I was just asking the Holy Spirit, give me the answers. <laughs> got to keep this going. I got to keep it going. So she asked me, she says, when is our first kiss? And I'm like, for sure my brother hasn't kissed her yet. He's way too scared. And so I'm like, we haven't kissed yet. We're keeping it holy for marriage. Come on. She's like, you're right. And I'm like, knew it. I kept this going for a week. For a week. One day I go into the office and don't you hate it when you're about to tell someone something so funny and you want them to laugh at it, but then they like bring conviction on you. So I was talking to someone on my dad's staff. I'm like, this is the greatest prank I've ever done. This is so hilarious. She's like, how would you feel if someone did that to you? And I was like, not very good. I realized that I was creating confusion with who she was talking to. Um, I know this is a funny story, and it, it, but it actually does apply to what we're talking about tonight because we see this conversation with Jesus and his disciples, and really it's one of the most, if not the most powerful revelations that anyone ever has in the Bible with Jesus. These disciples had been walking with Jesus for three years. They had seen him do miracles. They had heard him teach in the synagogues, and they, 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 they had heard about who Maybe he said he was and what other people thought. Some thought he was going to be this Messiah that would create a political uprising and take over and, and, and the Jews would reign. And some say he was a prophet and, and someone who was doing miracles, but that's not who Jesus claimed to be. So Jesus is having this conversation and he begins to ask this very, very serious question. He says, who do people say that I am. In the Bible, when it says I am, because throughout the Bible, it will use this statement, I am, I'm the great I am. What it's saying is it's actually speaking to God's character, God's nature, God's identity. Jesus wasn't asking this question because he was insecure and didn't know who he was. He wasn't asking them and saying, who do people say that I am? Because he wasn't sure. He was asking them a question to see something. He was asking them a question because he knew what they cared the most about. Who do people say that I am? Who, what, what are people saying about me? He, he, he understood that there was something going on within these disciples where they began to have this inner struggle of questioning who Jesus was. They were allowing the voices around them, the circumstances around them to begin to determine who God was more than what Jesus was saying. He had this question. He wasn't asking it from insecurity. He was asking it to, to, to address an inner dichotomy and inside of each and every one of us every single day. We always face these struggles in life when what we see, God, what God has done, what we've heard God say, what people say in church, and it does not line up with our experiences or maybe the voices around us, and we begin to question, is God really who he said he is? Is God really who he said he is? Because of our circumstances, because of our, 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 the voices around us, we allow this confusion to come in and we don't know who's talking to us anymore. 
We don't know who's talking. We, we begin to confuse the voice of God with the voice of others. We begin to confuse the voice of God with the voice of our feelings. We begin to confuse the voice of God with our bank account. We begin to confuse the, vo- confuse the voice of God with, with our, our diagnosis and our, and our health. We begin to confuse the voice of God with the circumstances in life, and we begin to forget about who God is. There's this, this, this inner struggle that Jesus is addressing. He's saying, who do people say that I am? And why is he asking this? Because he knows that's what the disciples cared the most about. See, these guys had given up everything to follow Jesus. They had given up family. They had given up work. They had given up money. They had given up everything. And they're about to throw in the towel because they're saying, is this really the guy that we thought we were following? Is this the Messiah or is this just some prophet? Is this just another guy who's, who's just doing miracles and stuff? Or is this actually the person who's going to bring us our salvation and bring us our redemption and, and be the Messiah that he said he was going to be? And Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And when the answer said, some, some, some say prophets, some say Jeremiah, Elijah. But then quickly he answers it. He asks another question. He says, who do you say that I am? Do you know why he asked that question right after? Because he wanted to see, did the circumstances in life and the opinions of others change how you viewed me? He asked first, who do people say that I am? And then quickly he follows that question up with, who do you say that I am? Has your opinion of me changed? Has your perspective of me changed? Do you still know who I am in your life? Just because maybe the circumstances don't line up with what you've been taught or maybe things aren't going the way that you thought they would or maybe the voices in life are negative and they're bringing you down. Do you still see me as the person that I said I was? Do you still know who I am? And then Peter, without hesitation, jumps in, didn't even consider and consult his other disciples. He says, I know who you are. You're Christ, you're Jesus, you're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, you are it. And Jesus gets so pumped. He says, awesome. Peter, let me tell you something. Now that you've figured out who I am, I'm going to tell you who you really are. I'm going to tell you who, what your real identity is. See, there's something about I am. There's something about God's true nature and God's identity because when we can find out God's nature and God's identity, we actually can begin to take on that nature and that identity for ourselves. We can never find our true identity unless we find out who God's true identity is. Some of us, we have grown up not knowing who we really are, even though we grew up in church because we have never had a true revelation of who Jesus is. Because look at what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Peter, you cannot learn about who I really am through books, through teachings, through, through, through having knowledge. It has to come through God, my Father, through the Holy Spirit. He has to reveal who I really am to you. And until the Holy Spirit reveals God's character and nature to us, we will never be able to know who we really are. We will always chase identity in something else rather than God if we never find God's true character and God's nature. We can't learn it. We can't study it. It doesn't matter how many podcasts we listen to or how many sermons we, we listen to or services we attend. We need the Holy Spirit to bring a revelation to our soul of this is who God is. In 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, I have been called by God. Can we throw these scriptures up as I read them pretty fast? 2 Timothy 1.9, can we throw that up? I'm called by God, we'll move on. It says, I am the image of God, 2 Corinthians 13.18. Look, that was awesome, we're good, all right. I am victorious, Revelation 12.11. I am victorious, 
Revelation 12, 11 says that they conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of the testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. They conquered by the blood of the lamb. They conquered by the word of their testimony. We are victorious. We are no longer victims, but we are victorious. We are victors. We don't have to live. See, when we realize that Jesus had the victory, we no longer have to be the victim. We don't have to live in an identity that's not ours. See, oftentimes we live in an identity of a victim, but that's actually not God's nature, not God's character. So that means we have not taken on his identity quite yet in that area. It also says, I am wonderfully made. Psalm seven, uh, Psalms 139, 14 in the message. Can we throw that up? This is one of my favorite scriptures. Psalms 139, it says, oh yes, you shape me first inside, then out. You form me in my mother, mother's womb. I thank you. Hi God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. I told our students this. Imagine if every single day we looked in the mirror and that's what we said about ourselves. God, I thank you so much. You created me this way. God, I thank you that you have given me breath today. God, I am worshiping that you created me because you, I am exactly the way you wanted me to be. I thank you, Jesus. You're an amazing creator and I am your creation. I thank you, God. We are created and we are wonderfully made. I am set free. John 8, 32 says this, for the, who the son sets free is free indeed, 32. And you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If we're living in a place of bondage, we have not taken on the identity of freedom. See, when God's identity becomes our identity, we walk in the nature and the character of God. Jesus begins to go through this with Peter and saying, this is a powerful revelation, Peter, because now that you know who I am, I'm going to tell you who you are. But oftentimes... This scripture gets misused when he talks to Peter. He says, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church on it. I'm going to give you the keys to the gates. You can open it up. And a yes on heaven is a, a yes on earth is a yes in heaven. No on earth is a no in heaven. See, oftentimes when we look at this, we look at these gates as opportunities and, and, and doors for our personal gain. So we use this and say, God, you're giving me the keys to the gates of, of the kingdom so I can open it up, so I can have prosperity, so I can have blessings, so can I have that car, I can have that house, I can have all these things. And when I claim it on earth, you're going to claim it in heaven. But that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying the gates that I'm giving you the keys to are actually the representation of the gates in Jerusalem. One was for the Jews and the other was for the Gentiles. He was saying this revelation that you are about to have is actually not about your personal gain. It's not about what you can get from me. It's about what you can give to others. The same revelation that you have had, you can give that. You can give access. Our revelation gives access to God. Our revelation of God's character should give access to other people to receive God's character. He says, you have keys to the gates. But he, he, he quickly saw that Peter misused and misunderstood this revelation. We're going to jump down Matthew 16, verse 21. It says, then Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of religious leaders and be killed on the third day, raise up in a lot and, and be alive. Peter took him by the hand, protesting, impossible, master, you, that can never be. But Jesus didn't swerve. I love that. He didn't swerve. He didn't swerve. Some of y'all just don't need to swerve. When you know God spoke, don't swerve. That wasn't a part of my message. That's for free. It says, Peter got out of my, he says, Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Get this. It says, then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Ooh, I love that. It says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. 
Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is my way. The way to finding yourself, your true self. Get that. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to finding your, yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you have ever trade your soul for? Get this one more time. I'm going to read this. It says self-sacrifice is the way. My way, finding yourself, your true self. Your true self. Jesus quickly realized Peter thought this revelation was for him. When, when Peter came and corrected God, when he says, I need to die on the cross, I need to raise again, he says, get behind me, Satan. You missed it. See, Peter was having this moment with God. You ever had a moment with someone and you know you're having a moment? It's just beautiful. You don't have to say anything. You just lock eyes and you're like, this is a moment. We're having a moment. And you just don't want to leave, right? Like when me and my wife were dating, we would just like sit there and just look. And he's like, oh, this is a moment. This is beautiful. We don't want to leave. You're just looking, right? You don't break eye contact. It gets a little bit weird for everyone else, but you guys were having a moment. It's just awkward, right? See, Peter had this moment with Jesus. He had breakthrough. And he's looking at the breakthrough that he received, and he's looking at his savior he's looking at his god and he's looking at the man that he just had a revelation of who he was and they're locked eyes and they're having a moment and then in the middle of this moment jesus says okay time for me to go time for me to leave and peter gets so upset peter's like you can't leave now we just had a moment yo we just we're having a moment you can't leave you can't i just figured out who you were and you're telling me who i really am you, you can't leave. See, Jesus recognized something in Peter's response. Peter thought everything that he had in a revelation was for him. Peter thought this moment with God was just for him and God. He thought that this moment with Jesus was supposed to be just for them. And Jesus saw that and said, no, 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 Peter, you missed it. See, when I tell you what your true identity is, it's not for self-help. It's not to help you to, to find self-success. It, it, it's not to just make yourself feel better. See, oftentimes in the world, we look for identity so we can have security, so we can help ourselves. Oftentimes we look for identity in the world, so in, our, in our business ventures, because we feel like if we have self-success, that's what our identity is tied to. But what Jesus is saying is when your identity is tied to your self-help, there's going to be a time that you cannot help yourself and you will lose who you think you are. He's looking at Peter and saying, your identity is not found in something that you can help yourself to, Peter. This revelation, and you're a rock, that I will build my church, is not about you. It's not a Tony Robbins speech. That is just talk to yourself and make yourself feel better. Nothing against Tony Robbins. But oftentimes we want that in church. We want it to be self-help. We want someone to tell us just how to fix our problems and how we can do it ourselves. But that's not Jesus' way. Jesus says, looks at us and says, if you want to know who you really are, you've got to give up some stuff. And whatever you're willing to sacrifice is the level in which you will be secure in your identity. See, some of us, we are only secure a little bit in our identity. And whatever areas we're not willing to sacrifice is the areas we'll be insecure in forever. So if we're constantly insecure about our finances, have you given that to God and say, God, I am willing to sacrifice this. This does not control me anymore. 
Is it work? Is it business? Is it success? Is it even family? Sometimes we worry more about our family and spend time worrying and worrying and worrying instead of saying, God, you are in control. No longer will my identity be tied to this. God's version of identity is self-sacrifice, not self-help. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to lay down? What, what, what part of your nature are you willing to lay down to God and say, God, I will give this part of my nature and I will receive that from you? Because whatever you're willing to lay down and give up to God, he is willing to give you that part of his character, that part of his nature. That, and every time we have this revelation of who God is, then God begins to tell us who we are. See, identity can't be learned. That's why it's so difficult to quantify Oftentimes we talk about identity and we always speak to it as a younger generation. I'm a youth and young adults pastor, so I understand the struggle in our younger generation about their identity. But I don't think it's just a young people type of problem. I think as we get older, we just learn how to mask where we are insecure and we don't have identity in. And there's something to say about someone who's willing to say, you know what, maybe I don't have my identity in this area. Maybe I don't have freedom that I thought I did. See, it's not just a young person problem. Identity is a people problem because we have the propensity and the, and the, 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 the natural inclination to try to self-help ourselves. We try to figure out a way to get us out of our problems. We try to find the American dream that we can do it ourselves and we can get the house and we can get the family and we can get the bank account. And we think if we can get all of these things, then we'll be secure. See, look at how our society is built. It is built off self-help. From the time that you are a little kid, they begin to identify you by what you want to be, your, what your occupation is. Say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be a firefighter. Well, what happens when you grow up and you become a firefighter? Guess what? You have to work that job. Then you work that job for 40 years and guess what? Then you retire. We live for the benchmarks because we think the benchmarks are the thing that gives us identity and stability. So forever we live... For a benchmark saying, when I get there, I'll be secure, I'll be fine. When I get to retirement, I get enough money, then I'll be fine. If I can save up enough money, if I can get... And all of these things, and then we get to that benchmark and it fails. And then we're like, well, that didn't work, so let me try to self-help here and self-medicate here and do this and do that and do this. And we fight this identity issue for the rest of our lives because it is a difficult thing to quantify. Because identity is only found in whatever you're willing to sacrifice. So there's something to say about self-sacrifice. There's something to say about, you know what, God, my life is not my own anymore. God, my finances are not my own anymore. My time is not my own anymore. God, God, God my, my prayers are not about me anymore. It's not about my petitions, about what I need. God, I'm praying for other people because I know that if you can move in their life, I'm going to begin to see how you see them. And I'm going to begin to take on your nature and your character. God, I need you. God, I need you. See, whatever we're willing to sacrifice is the area that God is willing to give us access to his identity. See, God is not having an identity crisis. God is not insecure. God is not up and down. It says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His holiness is really what makes him God. And holiness cannot be achieved through self-help. It cannot be achieved from, from just trying and doing better. There's something about giving up our nature. And Peter missed something in this revelation. 
One of the greatest conversations in, in, in all of history. And he missed the point. How often is that our problem in church? We are talking about the greatest person to ever walk the planet, our Savior, our God, who sent his Holy Spirit so we can have access to him. But oftentimes we miss the point. We sit in here every week thinking, God, how can you help me this week? Instead of saying, God, let me gain, per per let me gain perspective and how can I further your kingdom? How can I help you this week? God, where, where, where can you use me? God, how, how, how can I be used in my workplace? How can I be used in my family? Maybe that habit that you have that God's been asking you to give up is because he wants you to bring freedom to somebody else. Maybe that phone call that you want somebody else to make for you to bring comfort, God is asking you to make that phone call to bring comfort to somebody else. Maybe the things that we're begging for and asking for, God is waiting for us to lay it down and say, you know what, God, if I never get what I'm asking for, I will give what you're asking me to give. Are we helping others find freedom? Are we bringing others to the kingdom? Because what did he say to Peter? Peter, guess what? On this rock, I will build my church on this revelation. So when I die on the cross, I'm going to give no more separation between God and man. When I die, now you can have relationship with God. And there's going to be keys that open up gates to any and everyone so they can have this same very access. And I'm giving you access so we can give others access. But why in the church have we stopped giving other people access to the presence of God? We should be giving access to the presence of God in our workplace, inside our cubicles, inside our offices. We should be giving people access to the presence of God in our family. We should be giving people access to the presence of God in our, in, when we go to the grocery store, when we, go to, when we go to the coffee shop, when we're driving on the highway. I'm giving you keys to open up the gates so people can see my identity. They will never know who they really are unless you live out who you really are by self-sacrificing your life. The keys can come on up. I'm finishing. But this is a conversation I think all of us have on the inside of, our, the inside of us all the time. Just like when I was on my iPad texting. Sometimes we have the wrong voices speaking into our identity. Sometimes... We allow our bank account to determine how secure we are rather than God. See, I'll speak you know, with young people. Oftentimes it may be social media, it may be friends. But as we grow up, we find other things to create insecurity. And we say, well, I just have to worry about providing. You do. That's a beautiful thing. But let God worry about the things that you cannot worry about. It says that in Matthew. He says, if the birds have food, won't you? The grass has clothing, won't you? Don't live in anxiety. See, Jesus throughout his life taught an anxious free life. He said, I need you to worry about two things. I need you to worry about my kingdom and becoming more like me. Seek thee first the kingdom of God and my righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. See, we are worrying about the things we cannot control instead of worrying about the things we can control because oftentimes the things we can control require self-sacrifice. See, the kingdom of God isn't just, it's not self-serving self or self-help. The kingdom of God is self-sacrifice. Because what is the kingdom of God? It's people. So when we go to the grocery store and someone who maybe doesn't look like us, 
Are we nice to them? Are we kind to them? Do we talk to them? Do we show empathy? See, empathy doesn't change your perspective or your opinion about something. It changes how you deliver it. See, Jesus wept, and we talked about this last night in youth, that Jesus wept with Mary and Martha even though he was actually troubled by what they were doing. It says that they were crying and they were weeping, and it says they were troubled because they weren't believing, is what the theologians say. But he wept because he felt with them for a moment that they were broken. There's people on earth that don't need our opinion. They don't need our teaching. They need our empathy. They need us to sacrifice our intelligence for a moment and just say, you know what? I'm going to love you for where you're at. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to buy you lunch. Imagine that. I'm going to buy you coffee. I want to talk. I want to talk to you. I want you to tell me what you're going through. I want you to tell me what you're feeling. We sacrifice our intelligence and we sacrifice maybe our biblical knowledge for a moment. That doesn't mean we don't believe what the Bible says. It means that just maybe for a moment we don't have to share it. We just love someone. Because the revelation of God's character will shine through. He's saying, Peter, don't you get it? What you just got isn't for you. It's not about what name it, claim it. Blab it, grab it, all that stuff is beautiful, but that's actually not what Jesus was saying in this verse. He was saying, your yes on heaven, your yes on earth is a yes in heaven, your no on earth is a no in heaven. Can we not begin to cry out for our city and our town and the people who are lost and say, God, we're going to have a yes in Irvine. The enemy, no longer is the enemy going to have Irvine. No longer is the enemy going to have Orange County. No longer is the enemy going to have my family. No longer is the enemy going to have my workplace. No longer is the enemy going to have my identity. Because God, I'm sacrificing. I'm using the keys to the gates and I'm opening them up and saying, come on in. Whoever needs it, come on in. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter what you're struggling with. We have a God who wants to give you identity. We have a God who wants to give you security. We have a God who wants to change your very nature and all of this was made possible when Jesus died on the cross the greatest picture of self-sacrifice ever because he did not deserve it see oftentimes we want to justify our sacrifice maybe with ulterior motives if I sacrifice maybe they'll give me this if I give this maybe I'll get back Jesus didn't have ulterior motives. His only ulterior motive was love for you and I. His only ulterior motive was healing. His only ulterior motive was access. He said, I'm gonna die, no strings attached. If you choose to not believe in me, guess what, I still died for you. If that person chooses not to respond to your text, can you still reach out? If that person argues with you and beats you down, can you still love them? If that person disagrees with you, can you just encourage them? Can you be a listening ear, even when you're frustrated? That person who stole from you, can you give to them? That person who abandoned you, can you forgive them? No strings attached. Sometimes we forgive hoping that that, that, that person will be made right and that they will right their actions. Sometimes you gotta forgive and they may never change. But it's not about them changing. It's about you releasing and saying, no strings attached. Because aren't you glad that Jesus didn't die with strings, with strings attached for you and I? 
Because imagine when we didn't believe for him, if we had to earn that because we couldn't. That's why he had to die. And he said, the only thing I need you to do is put your trust in me and I give you access. You sacrifice your nature, I'll give you my nature. You're unstable, I'll give you stability. You have no hope, I'll give you hope. You need peace, I'll give you peace. Peace is perspective of heaven. Let me give you a perspective of heaven. But you gotta sacrifice some things. You gotta sacrifice. Sacrifice is sometimes a negative word in our English vernacular, but it's actually not, it's a beautiful thing. It's the sign of probably, I think, the greatest form of love is I'm gonna give you everything so you can have what you need. That's what Jesus did for us. And it says in the Bible that we become a new creation in Christ when we take on his nature. That we have the ability to become a new creation. So it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or maybe where you're at right now, God can make you new. He can give you a new identity. He can give you full security. He can give you hope. He can give you peace. He can give you joy. And it requires self-sacrifice, sacrificing your pride and humbling ourselves for grace and sacrificing what we want and saying, God, I need what, what, what you have for me. And I will give and I will sacrifice all that you have for me. We need to sacrifice our nature and allow God to steal it and give us his. I call this identity theft because that's what we need Jesus to do for us. We need Jesus to steal our old identity and give us his. We need God's character in order to function as his people. We don't need knowledge of God we don't need to just know scriptures. We need to worry about two things in life, loving people and becoming like Jesus each and every day. And when we can do those things, all these things will be added unto us, amen? Can we stand to our feet? Can we stand to our feet? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.